morning. It's always good to be here at St. Thomas. We, we live in Terry Hill, and in case you don't know where that is, you probably know where the Shady Maple Smorgasbord is. So we, li we live near there, and we uh, came north on 222 this morning, and uh, in, right around Gagglersville, I thought my car, I thought the car sounded noisy. And uh, I asked Jackie, she said no, sounded fine. Anyway, uh, the reason that was a concern for me is that two years ago I was on my way to St. Thomas for a meeting with Pastor Lute and some of the other pastors in the area. And uh, I was driving a car that uh, four or five years prior someone had given me. A man called me on the phone. Someone I was in high school with, but someone I hadn't seen more than a couple of times in 40 years. And he said, my wife and I think that uh, God wants us to give you our extra car. And, and so he did. And uh, he gave us this very nice 1997, wasn't new, but very good condition, Mercedes. So I was motoring around in this Mercedes. And uh, two years ago, I was headed for a meeting here in the morning. It was about 9.30 in the morning. And I was in the area of Gadlersville. It was one of those gray rainy mornings like that particular year it seemed like most every morning was and uh, I thought oh, it smells, I think I smell smoke but I didn't give too much thought to it I thought well you know maybe I went through an area where there was they were burning something and then I got down near the exit at Lancaster Avenue and I thought well it seems like, seems like there's smoke in the car and so I went to put the window down, and the window didn't work. And then I looked over my shoulder, and on the passenger side rear seat, there were flames about this high. And in my infinite wisdom, I thought, that's not good. <laughs> so I pulled over uh, midway between Lancaster Avenue and 724 there, where the Lowe's is. And, uh, Jumped out of the car, I had a towel in the trunk, and I went around the side and tried to beat the flames out. And it took me about five seconds to figure that wasn't going to work. So I called 911. Anybody ever call 911? And you know, they ask you all these questions. What, you know, what's your name? What's your phone number? Where do you live? When the 911 operator answered, I said, look, this is where my car is, and it's on fire. <laughs> Anyway, the car burned up, and uh, no injuries. Young man stopped and took me home, and uh, there's a lot more of the story. But meanwhile, Pastor Luke called and wondered where I am. I said, "What's well, the darnest thing? My car, my car burned up. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make it." So, uh, anyway, we made it this morning, and we were also here last last evening, and uh, I mentioned to Amy that I wanted to make sure how much all of you know how much we appreciated being part of the Sweetheart Banquet. And, and if, if you didn't attend this year, I encourage you to attend next year. I think, was it the 36th one this year? And it, we've been to a number of different Sweetheart Banquets over the years, and it was delightful. It, it really was. We thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. So all of you who, are, who participated, why... Uh, it had anything to do with it, why thank you very, very much. 
Uh, I asked Pastor Luke, it is still the season of Epiphany, whether I could uh, preach from a text. And uh, I confess to you that this, is, uh, this has very, happened very seldom over the years. But this is a message that I had preached previously, uh, earlier this year. And it's a message that I needed to hear. And I asked him if it would be all right if I preached from this text. That's why we're kind of going back. I know Christmas and uh, the early, the, in the, season, the beginning of the season of Epiphany seems e eons ago. But uh, one of the classic uh, and traditional stories for the season of Epiphany is this story of the visitation of the wise men. And so I'm going to read from the Revised Standard Version, Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. If you'd like to follow along, I encourage you to do so. Uh, if you're not using the RSV, well, you'll see there's a little bit different a little difference in the wording. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall govern my people Israel. Then Herod summoned all the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down, as Rob mentioned to us, and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. So, Father, this is, uh, this is a familiar story, one we've heard so many times before. It reminds us of the gift of your Son, the celebration of Christmas, which seems to arrive so slowly as we await it and then passes by so quickly uh, once it has arrived. But we return now this morning to, to this story, this text that you inspired St. Matthew to record, and we pray in Jesus' name that, that you might speak to us as you know our individual spiritual needs. And we'll thank you for that as we pray as always in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a, a movie that I like very much. It's an old movie. Jackie and I don't have a television set, so we watch a lot of movies, and this one is in VHS. It, uh, it stars uh, what, when it was
is a young woman by the name of Selma Hayek and uh, Matthew Perry. And it's, it's uh, entitled Fools Rush In. And uh, in, in, in real brief summary, it's a story of a young man and a young woman who meet. He uh, is from Manhattan, and uh, his job is to, to uh, build uh, nightclubs. And he's building a nightclub in Las Vegas where he meets this young woman who lives in Nevada. And they fall in love and uh, they uh, get married and, they have a, and, they, and the young woman is pregnant with a child. It didn't exactly go in that order. It went more like they fell in love and then they, or maybe they didn't even fall in love. They just met and so you know the story. Anyway, uh, there becomes an issue about where they're going to live, where they're going to raise their child. She, of course, wanted to raise the child in Nevada, which is closer to her family, and he wanted to raise the child and their child in Manhattan, where, where he was most familiar. And it came to a point where they were almost going to go their separate ways. When uh, the character played by Matthew Perry encountered a priest on a busy street in Manhattan who was saying to all the passers-by, there are signs everywhere. There are signs everywhere. Now, using that rather weak illustration, the point I want to make is that signs aren't something that vanished in ancient history. Um, Father God continues to use signs of various kinds as a means of speaking to us. And, and as an illustration, I was interested in the, in the praise music this morning, which uh, focused our attention on the, uh, on the universe and God's creation. Yesterday when I was, when I was praying in the morning, I, I was having difficulty focusing. I don't know if that happens to you, but sometimes I have a number of things on my mind, and when I sit down with the Lord, it, I have a hard time putting those things aside. And the Lord kept saying to me, focus, focus. And then he said, and I wasn't focusing, and he says, think about places where you see me. And I was amazed by the number of places where God reminded me that I see him if I'm looking, signs. And one of the places that he reminded me was in the creation of the universe, and some of our songs reminded me of the eighth psalm, which it says, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him the son of man that you care for him. And yet you've made us little lower than the angels. He was looking at the, at the, at the moon and thinking about the stars and so forth. And this morning when I sat down to pray, through the window, out of the core of my eye, I saw the brilliant moon, which is full tonight, I think. And we noticed it on the way up here. And then we sang these creation songs, signs. Signs, that's my point. There are times in our lives when maybe we're experiencing something when the lyrics to a song that we've heard many, many times to, before, all of a sudden they click. They speak to us very, very clearly because we have a certain need and even though we don't know it, we, have our, we kind of have our minds and our hearts open to receiving the sign. We may see a message on a billboard that we saw lots of times before, and all of a sudden it speaks to us in some way that it hadn't spoken to us before. Or even a commercial on the radio or something of that nature. 
God is still using signs, but arguably the most well-known sign in all of history, for us as, as Christians anyway, is the sign of the scar associated with the birth of Jesus. Now, there has been a lot of speculation about the wise men who followed that star. Uh, there's at least general agreement, though, that they were honorable, religious men. But what's particularly important for us this morning is that these were men who for a long time had dedicated themselves to studying the heavens and had been noting and had been charting the movements and the configurations of the stars and the other heavenly bodies. And while they weren't Jewish, these men were not Jewish. They had been studying the heavens with the expectation of discovering an important sign from God, our God, our almighty God. My dad was always uh, interested in cars, and uh, he traded cars every few years. Uh, I remember specifically in 1966, Oldsmobile came out with a car called the Toronado. It was way ahead of its time in terms of styling. It was front-wheel drive, the first American-made car that I'm aware of that came out with front-wheel drive, full-size. It was very unusual looking. We got one. But what was most interesting is that my dad had a little sports car when I learned to drive. He and a lot of his buddies had, had different kinds of sports cars and he used to, used to go to races and so on and so forth. And uh, so I had the privilege of driving this little sports car when I was 16, 17 years old. And uh, I felt pretty cool when I went out on a date and you know, took some of, one of this little car. And uh, one day I had the top down and we were, had, had this girl with me, we were getting on the highway and uh, we're going in the down the acceleration lane. I mean, I'm, I'm on this thing. I winded up in first gear. I winded up in second gear. I winded up in third gear. And she says, can I shift into fourth? Said, yeah, sure. I mean, I am on it. And she shifts, pulls the lever back, and instead of going into fourth, it went into second. I want to tell you, that sends the tachometer pretty much the whole way around the dial. Well... Nothing happened, everything was fine, but I use that illustration to, to ask you if you'll just shift gears with me for a minute here, hopefully with uh, more success than I've described. Think back, if you will, to the season of Lent. And if you will, you'll remember that the four-week season of Lent leading up to Christmas, each of the Sundays has a theme associated with it. You may or may not recall that. The first Sunday in Lent, the theme is hope, and it's a reminder that in sending Jesus, God sent hope into the world. The second Sunday, the theme is peace, and it reminds me of the peace that God assures us will prevail throughout the world one day. The third Sunday's theme is joy, a reminder that the gifts of forgiveness and eternal life are ours for the asking, and therefore, regardless of our circumstances, we have every opportunity to be joyful. And the fourth Sunday, the theme is love. That's a reminder of God's unconditional, unending, unmerited 
love for us. Now, I mention those. I don't expect you to remember them. I mention them simply to ask you this. Do hope or peace or joy or God's love ever seem elusive to you? Or to put it another way, do you ever struggle with being hopeful or joyful or peaceful? Do the circumstances, listen, do the circumstances of your life ever take control of your attitude about life? causing you to perhaps occasionally wonder, as I do, about the closest of, closeness of your relationship with God. When we really have an issue that we're dealing with, does it ever distract you like it does me so joy and peace and hope and the love of God don't seem that close to me? And if you have experienced the same thing or do, then I invite you to, to join me in seeing what we can learn from the wise men. When the wise men finally saw the star, what they'd been waiting so long to see, what turned out to be, to be, a, be a star, and when they saw it moving across the sky, they packed up and they followed that star. Now there is so much that we don't know about those men. We don't know who they were. We don't know exactly where their journey began. The scriptures do tell us that their journey began in the east. The word east in the scripture is capitalized, kind of implying that it's a, it's a name, so maybe it's referring to the name of a country that we know today, like Iran or Iraq. We don't know how long it took the wise men to reach their destination. We don't even know for sure, as you know, how many wise men there were. We assume that there were three because there were three gifts, and so there were three gifts. We assume that there must have been three presenters of gifts. We don't know that, and we don't know how many people might have been in the wise men's entourage because it's highly unlikely that these learned men traveled by themselves, at least on the journey that they were taking this time. All we really know is that they saw the star and somehow knew it was the sign for which they had been waiting. And as the star moved across the sky, those wise men were completely committed. They were fully invested in following that star for as long as it took. That's an important point. They set out on their journey and they were going to see it through to the end. They had studied, they'd waited, they'd studied some more and they'd waited some more and they were determined that they were going to persevere until they finally reached their destination. Now is it just me or does it make sense to you to ask why those wise men, non-Jews, would have watched and waited so patiently for a sign in the heavens, and then when they saw the sign, would immediately set out for an unknown destination with no idea whatsoever exactly what they were going to find or who they were going to meet. Does that seem strange to you? Can we agree that it was probably because they were convinced that whoever they were going to meet, it was going to be worth the trip? Regardless of what it might cost, 
in terms of time or money or even their security as they travel. So maybe we need to ask ourselves honestly whether we feel the way the wise men must have felt. That meeting, and even more importantly, getting to really know Jesus Christ is worth all that effort, no matter what it might require of us. Jackie and I have very unique wedding rings. Like you can see this. It's called a puzzle ring. There are eight rings. You, you may have seen them. As this legend goes, they were given by Pharaoh to his wives so that if they were ever unfaithful and took off their rings, they'd come apart and then he'd know them. Well, over the, Jackie's never had her ring off. Over the years, sometimes when it's been cold and my finger shrinks a little bit, I've actually, the rings actually dropped off of my finger. And when it does, it like, it explodes. And then what you have is eight rings interlocking that look like just a big mess of rings. And I found out the hard way. There's instructions that come along with this, these rings, how to put them back together. They're about as helpful as the instructions for checkers. I don't know if you ever looked at the instructions for checkers. You probably don't, because we all just learned how to play checkers when we were kids. But if you look at checkers and try to read the instructions, you'll never learn to play. You have to learn from somebody else. And you can't put this ring together by reading the instructions. But I've had it apart numerous times, and I thought about holding it up here and shaking it. But just my luck, I won't be able to get the thing back together by the end of the day. But on one of the occasions that the ring came apart, we were at the shore with our family. We go to the shore every, every year with our whole family, which is growing. We now have, we have three daughters, and now we have eight grandchildren. And every year we go, and this is before any grandchildren. We went to the shore on a Saturday, and it was a kind of a cold, damp day. Everything happens to me on these cold, damp days, you know? And, uh, and so by the end of the, toward the end of the day, everybody was hungry. The rain had kind of stopped. And we decided we'd go down on the beach and head for some walk, you know, head for some place to eat. The boys decided they wanted to throw a football around. I'm not athletic, but anyway, one of the boys threw the football to me while we're in the surf. Not deep, you know, ankle deep water. And I reached like this to catch the ball, and my ring, I see it, goes off my finger into the water. Now, I took note exactly where it went in. No problem. I waited until the water went out. I couldn't find it. And I was sick. We were all looking for this ring, digging around in the sand. How, how deep could that thing have gone in an instant? Now, I'm standing on the beach. I'm looking up at the boardwalk, and I did make note you know, what a landmark was on the boardwalk. So I knew about where, where it was. We searched and searched couldn't find it. We went to the restaurant and we, when we prayed before our meal, I prayed about this ring, you know, that we'd find this ring. That was on a Saturday. Every day we go to the same place. We're digging around, looking for this thing. We can't find it. Wednesday rolls around. We went to the police. We're desperate. Thought maybe someone had found it and turned it in. Like anybody finding this ring would think of it, oh, look at that ring. Because it would have all been in pieces. The police officer said, why don't you rent 
a metal detector. You know, Wednesday, midday. Told us where we could go get a metal detector. We went to find this, went to get a metal detector. We came back, immediately went down on the beach with this metal detector. We're going back. I found tabs from aluminum cans. Do you know those metal detectors even make a beep when you find the foil wrapper from a piece of chewing gum? But do you think I could find that reef? And I knew about where it was. Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning, I get up before 7 o'clock, walk down the beach. You know, this is all that's on my mind, finding this reef. Within five minutes, I'm going like this, the thing, beep, 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 dug down about three inches, found the reef. Found the reef. There's another story, I won't tell, I don't have enough time to tell it, but uh, there, I, lost, I lost the thing for about six months. Listen, this is the point. Elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel, he's written that the king of, kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a person found and covered up. I always thought that seemed interesting, didn't you? This guy's wandering around in a field that he doesn't own, and he finds a treasure. So he covers it up. I, I think this is, this is, I have trouble with this story in the scripture. He covers it up, and then with joy, he went and sold what he had and bought the field. Does that seem a little wrong to you? I mean, if you have a field and there's a treasure in it, wouldn't that be your field? And I go say, hey, uh, I'll give you a reasonable price for your field. So I get the field and the treasure. But yeah, I digress. Anyway, anyway, anyway the story continues. Again, in the kingdom, of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that the merchant had and bought that pearl. Listen, when the wise men finally saw the sign in the nighttime sky, the sign that turned out to be a star, they immediately set out for wherever the star would lead them to find whoever it was who was, as Rob accurately pointed out, was the king of the Jews. Because they knew that the sign, being from God, was, listen, the treasure most to be desired, the pearl of supreme value that they had to acquire. They knew that finding Jesus needed to take precedence over everything else in their lives. This is important. Finding Jesus took precedence. I'm not just talking about finding him. I'm talking about really finding and possessing him. Took precedence over their homes, their families, their jobs, their security. Sounds like the disciples, doesn't it? When Jesus called them. Finding Jesus took precedence over everything. It was top priority. And when those wise men finally found Jesus, they felt, you did such a good job of this story. They fell down. They worshipped Jesus. I never thought about that. We don't do that when we, you know, I go see my grandchildren in the hospital when they're born. Yeah, I look at them, healthy, great, I'm celebrating. I don't fall down and worship them. But they fell down and worshiped Jesus. And then, having found such a treasure, they offered Jesus their own precious, priceless gifts. 
not priceless in comparison with Jesus, but priceless in comparison with other worldly possessions, gold and frankincense and myrrh. But listen, finding Jesus wasn't enough. Giving the most valuable things they had was not enough. You see, we can be certain that these wise men, and this is why this is part of the the series of stories that are addressed during Epiphany. Epiphany means to to reveal, to make known, to, to manifest. We can be certain that these wise men who'd waited so long, who had traveled so far, and who'd given the very best of what they had, when they returned home, they told everyone they met about who it was that they met who was the king of the Jews. They told everyone that they met along the way and when they got home about that treasure that they had discovered, that priceless pearl that they'd found and claimed in relationship as their own. The wise men's search had ended and Jesus must be sought. Jesus must be sought. You know, when I was in college, I was older and working and we had one child and then we had two children and I often thought to myself, man, I wish I could just put my books under my pillow at nighttime and maybe by osmosis I'll get the material that I need so I'm able to do the work that I need to do and pass the tests that I need to pass in order to you know, get the grades that I need to grade. You know, it, Jesus must be sought. He's not just going to ooze into our pores. But those wise men's journey had just begun because the Jesus that they found was so much more than a king. Listen, he was more than a king. They realized that the one they'd found was the source of the hope and the peace and the joy and the love the likes of which they had never experienced in their lives. Love that we all long for. Now what we can learn from these wise men today, we can learn by comparing our dedication and our commitment and the, pri- the priority that we place on finding and getting to know Jesus with that of the wise men. What we can learn from the wise men this morning, we can learn by comparing our commitment to relationships with Jesus with that of the wise men. Unless you think I'm speaking down to you, I'm speaking to myself. Because I think we need to check in with ourselves on these things regularly. What we can learn from these wise men, we can learn by comparing the emphasis we place on knowing Jesus and telling other people about Jesus and serving Jesus in the way that I suspect that the wise men served when they got home. And maybe, maybe because the the Holy Spirit is, is so mysterious, maybe Along the way this morning, he has quietly revealed, to some of us anyway, some other things that we can learn from the wise men.
Father, as we bow before you, thanking you for your voice speaking to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name that we would take the gifts that you've offered to us this morning that we would consider them from the depths of our own hearts and integrate them into our lives. That the people around us might recognize more clearly the presence and the significance of you in our lives and what that relationship means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure, what do we do next?